0: Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. Unity and maturity. And I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. So, because that's just me, and it's not going on the screen, so you'll just have to listen or follow it if you already have it. As a prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you to walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank, given to you in your divine calling with tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love toward one another, especially toward those who may try your patience. (laughs) Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace, being one body and one spirit, as you were all called into the same glorious hope of divine destiny. For the Lord God is one, and so are we. For we share in one faith, one baptism, and one Father. And he is the perfect Father who leads us all, works through us all, and lives in us all. And he has generously given each one of us supernatural grace. According to the size of the gift of Christ, this is why he says... He ascends into the heavenly heights, taking his many captured ones with him, and gifts were given to men. He ascended means that he returned to heaven after he had first descended from the heights of heaven, even descending as far as the lowest parts of the earth. The same one who descended is also the one who ascended above the heights of heaven in order to begin the restoration and fulfillment of all things and he has appointed some with grace to be apostles and some with grace to be prophets and some with grace to be evangelists and some with grace to be pastors and some with grace to be teachers and their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry and as they do this they will enlarge and build up the body of christ these grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness in the faith until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the son of god and finally we become one perfect man with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity and fully developed in the abundance of christ and then our immaturity will end and we will not be easily shaken by trouble nor led astray by novel teachings or by the false doctrines of deceivers who teach clever lies but instead we will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth all our direction and ministries will flow from christ and lead us deeper into him the anointed head of his body the church for his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one and every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all and as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body we are built up and made perfect in love so the apostle paul wrote this letter And I know we call it the letter to the Ephesians, all right? But it's actually written to a group of churches, not just to the church in Ephesus. So it's not corrective teaching for a specific church. It's not specific encouragement for a particular church. It contains truth and exhortation that's relevant for all believers, and that includes us. I mean, the letter's close identification with the church in Ephesus was something which happened when later copies of the manuscript were transcribed. But initially, it was written to a group, so it was a round-robin letter to a group of churches. And in it, at the very beginning, Paul exhorts us to walk holy. And the reason he does this is because the reality of who we are as believers is always on public view and it's not locked away in our reasoned theology we may think that the essence of who we are as believers stacks back to what we believe our theology but we're judged every day by the fact of how we live our life and that's the reality of who we are and what we really believe I mean our lifestyle our speech And our actions should therefore reflect reflect our identity and our calling in God. Now I've said before that I've yet to meet a Christian who thinks that his or her theology is wrong. It's true. None of you sat here today are sat thinking, I'm I'm completely up the spout. You know, my theology is wrong. We're all, to to a degree, comfortable with what we believe some of us and I hope quite a few of us may be wrestling with particular areas of belief and that's healthy that's because our theology like our relationship with God should be developing and changing if you're not wrestling with things if you don't have areas where in a sense you're not quite sure or where you think flip what I believed two years ago I don't believe anymore if that's not happening then there's something wrong with your theology. There's something wrong with your relationship because our theology is really just a posh word for what we believe about God. And as our relationship with him develops, our theology, our our belief package will expand and change. Many of us, in fact, I would say all of us, probably need to deconstruct what we believe. We need to dismantle it because it's hindering us in our relationship with God. We've got some right crap there from years ago that's stopping us from developing our relationship with God and yet we think it's immovable because we were taught it by learned people or we were taught it within church. It needs to be challenged, it needs to be deconstructed so that God's truth has got a chance of getting in there and changing us. Paul says, thank you. Paul says, with tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love towards one another, especially towards those who may try your patience. Do you know who they are? Just look around. You'll see them. I mean, the reality of church life is there will always be times when people irritate you. In fact, I think it should be the other way around. The reality is that there may be times when people don't irritate you. Most of the time they do irritate you and the essence of this is that the measure of the love that you have and that you show others is not based on how you get on with your bestie right or your close friends but on the love and the patience that you show to the people who irritate you. that's That's the measure of the real love that you've got. It's a realistic assessment and I tell you it's a sobering thought. Because in addition to the folk in church who irritate you, I don't know whether you've come to the revelation yet that you irritate other people as well. <laughs> it's a two-way street. Iron sharpens iron, it says, doesn't it, in Proverbs, you see? Paul highlights in this passage patience, gentleness, love, which we are familiar with because it's in the fruit of the spirit and thanks and thanks to the blessed Betty that's Betty Polkingum by the way and the fisher folk most Christians particularly those over a certain age can recite if not sing the fruit of the spirit now the band (laughs) was saying to me earlier can we not sing while you're speaking I said you'll get an opportunity and this is the band's opportunity to actually sing the Betty Polkingham refrain to do with the fruit of the spirit. Now, some of you might say, "Betty who?" Betty, no, Betty. But I'd like to bet you you know what it is. I bet you they know the song, don't they? Who, who, come on, them band! You said you wanted to sing. There's a nice little group over here. Too young. Sorry. Too young. No, 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 no. The mere fact you know it and are avoiding it shows that you're not too young. <laughs> now, if you want, we can go on to "If I Were a Butterfly." Yeah. I mean, you know it. You know, "If I Were a Butterfly," yeah. Betty Polkingham again. You see, you know the blessed Betty's stuff. I mean, it says the fruit of the spirit is peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. See, you know it. You know it. Now the fruit of the Spirit and the armor of God are the, I believe, the top two areas of biblical teaching that suffer from Sunday school interpretation. With Jonah coming a close third. Because it is fruit, notice, of the Spirit, singular, not fruits plural right fruit singular it's not a set that you collect over time like cub scout badges <laughs> and yet some christians approach it that way you know they'll say oh god give me patience you've already got it right. yeah. give me this as though in a sense you're lacking or missing that bit you may be lacking it in realization and in manifestation but in a sense you are not lacking it In one sense it's one fruit with nine flavors and all nine grow and shape your character as a manifestation of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you that's why it's called fruit it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit living in you which manifests in your life fruit grows but interestingly gifts are given aren't they So, why are Christians more impressed with a person's gifting than their character? We are, aren't we? We're easily impressed with a person's gifting. But we're not all that taken or conversationally talk about the fact of somebody's character. A prophetic gift. A teaching gift. A healing gift. And yet, spiritual gifts... Are like baubles hung on a Christmas tree. There they are. Not very colourful on that screen, which most colourful on my Mac. They attract attention, but the reason I'm distinguishing is because they've been put there. They are not a product of the tree. And you dismantle it and you pack it away at the end of Christmas. Whereas the implications of the spirit indwelling us is that our character, our language, our lifestyle, and our actions should all manifest love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Not a selection from the group. It's not, well, I'll go for any three. All nine. All nine. Now, I'm not knocking gifts by any means, because we need them are essential for a healthy church not just for the leadership but for everyone I mean at the end of 1 Corinthians 12 which is a chapter that talks specifically about gift it says and I will show you still a more excellent way now most people think that the more excellent way that's outlined in 1 Corinthians 13 is love they're wrong
1: he said humbly
0: (laughs) because within the flow of scripture you can almost remove 1 corinthians 13 and you can plug 1 corinthians 12 into 1 corinthians 14 because 1 corinthians 13 is actually an aside to the flow of what paul's talking about The more excellent way is revealed at the beginning of chapter 14. Because the more excellent way is not only love, it is love plus gifts. It actually says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. It's probably the only time in scripture that Christians are encouraged to covet. So get on with it. Said today's passage is about unity and maturity, and Paul emphasizes this when he says, Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace, being one body and one spirit, as you were called into the same hope of divine destiny. Now I know it's not a particularly PC thing to say. (laughs) Right? But Ecumenical and interfaith activities are often a counterfeit of unity. I chose my words carefully when I wrote that sentence. (laughs) I said often, just for some people, just, you know, don't want to to interrupt, upset everybody. Because the reason why, because they're based on man's attempts to establish agreement and conformity. Whereas true unity is of the Spirit. It's not based on theological or doctrinal agreement. We can be one in the Spirit and yet disagree on certain theological matters. That's what happens in this church. Our theology, as I've said before, should be a, a moving feast, an ongoing journey as we comprehend and encounter more of God. One of the greatest obstacles to you receiving divine revelation is if you only allow thoughts that confirm what you already know right that's so important i'm going to wipe my nose and say it again one of the greatest obstacles to you receiving divine revelation is if you only allow thoughts that confirm what you already know you've already pulled the shutters up you've already created a brick wall around and that's your little pot of happy theology reasoned theology that you're happy with and you just add to it anything that is outside that you won't touch it with a barge ball partly partly because they're heretics because they don't agree with you you see that's what that's how we think i've got a quote from mike parsons who says we must not let our current understanding keep us in bondage to the limitations of our past experience it's, right, it's worth writing down that one. And yet we do. And yet we do. Truth isn't fully understood unless it is experienced. And yet, most of us, the truth that we hold dear is truth that we hold here in our head. Um, Most of it we've never experienced ever. In scripture it talks about the truth that sets you free. The truth that sets you free isn't the text on the pages of the Bible. Sounds dodgy that, doesn't it? But it's true. It is not the text on the pages of the Bible. Simply reading something from the Bible is not enough. It's that same truth that's written on your heart through experience and encounter through meditating on scripture and by revelation that is the truth that sets you free and when you grasp it from that perspective it's quite chastening to appreciate how little truth we actually know frightening in fact if it's only based on what we've experienced for the lord god is one and so are we for we share in one faith one baptism yeah. and one father yeah. and he is the perfect father who leads us all works through us all and loves lives in us all now you are a tripartite being did you know that do you kind of is that what you kind of like talk about over breakfast did you know I was a tripartite being Just throw it into the conversation with some of your friends. Because according to scripture, in particularly 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23, you consist of body, soul and spirit. Hence you are a tripartite being. You are a spirit with a soul, that's your mind, your will and your emotions, in a body. Are you with me? Are you grasping this? Our communion, our encounter with God, is through our spirit. Our goal, our desire, should be to live from our spirit. The problem for most of us, however, in fact, I would probably say the problem for the majority of us, however, is that our soul is firmly in control and wants it it to remain like that. See, our body and our soul... Have natural needs and they are accustomed to living in separation from God and from our spirit they were brought up that way you know since our natural birth we have reached out to the world around us looking for love acceptance security significance and purpose the result has often been hurt Pain, rejection, insecurity, fear, disappointment, guilt, and shame. But when we are born again, our spirit is brought to life. We can now find love, acceptance, security, significance, and purpose in God. Amen. And through our relationship with Him. But the problem is that we now have this tension between how we learned to meet our needs before our spiritual birth, and this has been entrenched for years and years and years into our habits and in just normal living, that tension along with how we now know we can get those needs met in Him. And that is a problem in most Christians' lives, the old way and the new way tension between the two and after years of following the flesh this is a battle that we must persevere in and win because if we cut off the old way the world's way we can be healed and restored so that the flow of life comes from heaven through our spirit soul and body to the world then we will manifest God's glory his presence and his power to change the world around us. But this battle is crucial. Paul goes on in the next bit to talk about what we now refer to as the five-fold ministry. It's a well-known passage. It says something like, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be teachers. But I'm going to reread it and put it on the screen for your benefit, from the Mirror Bible, which has nothing to do with the Daily Mirror, it's just a particular (laughs) translation of the Bible, because I think this breathes new life into this text. The Mirror Bible for this passage says the following, Some are commissioned to pioneer. Others are gifted prophetically. Some as announcers of good news. Some as shepherds with a real gift to care and nurture. And others have a gift to ignite instruction through revelation knowledge. I prefer that version. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. It is the God ordained ministry structure to serve the local church. And yet it is so missing in the local church, desperately missing. During the past few years, we've seen a reemergence of apostles across the church, across the wider church. But as with any God inspired corrective, there are always mistakes, aren't there? You know, it's the usual thing God initiates, man screws up. It's the history of the church. The fivefold ministry is not a career ladder. Yeah, that's right. yeah. And yet, it is it, treated as such within the church. Yes. Senior pastors don't automatically become apostles. Right. Even if it does say so on their business card and website. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the important bit is, God has appointed. That's the crucial bit. Not man has promoted God has appointed the prophet the evangelist the pastor and the teacher work as a team a plurality of eldership in a local church and it says in this passage their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry and as they do this they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ Members are living stones, leaders are builders, apostles are architects. That's how it works. Apostles are to provide guidance and direction for local church development. Paul goes on to say, and every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect in love so once again we come back to the necessity of gifted whole body ministry within the local church I mean we all have natural and work-related skills which we can contribute into church life and there are some opportunities in church life where you just need a willingness to serve others. That's all that's required. I mean, tea and coffee rotor is an example of that. You don't need some kind of great gift to go and handle the hatch and give people tea and coffee. You just need a willingness to serve and get your hands dirty a little bit. But today's passage clearly says every member of the body has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. So as I've said before, there are no vestigial (coughs) organs in the local body of church. Nobody is useless. Nobody is without function. We have all been supernaturally gifted and can input into church life. So the question is, so what's your bauble? What gift has God given you? You didn't have to work for it. You didn't have to pass any exams. God gives gifts for the sake of the body. And in many ways, the whole nature of the body is shaped by the gifts of the members. And Paul is saying here that the effectiveness of the body is determined by individuals using their gifts. Do you know your gift or gifts? If you do, do you use your gift or gifts? It says, and as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect in love. As these gifts operate effectively, we've got a bit of a problem if we're not even using the gifts in the first place. The church is actually at a disadvantage The health and kingdom effectiveness of a church body is dependent on each member contributing their God-given gifts into church life. See, you only get a church that's as good as you're able to participate in. If you're not actually putting your gifts into the body, then the church is actually suffering because of that. It's the task and the responsibility of local leadership, that's the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, to nurture and encourage whole body ministry in line with the divinely inspired, apostolically blessed blueprint for the church. Simple really. I don't know why we go wrong. And it is simple. It's just that in many ways we've got into bad habits. In many ways, you know, we see church sometimes as entertainment almost. In many ways, we just come along to watch other people with our mouths open thinking, gosh, aren't they gifted, you know? Yeah, you're gifted as well. It's just that we don't see yours. Covert the gifts, what Paul says. If you don't know what your gift is, then you should be excited because there is something that God wants you to grasp hold of. So that you can minister it into church life. So that the body can be what the body should be and being transforming. So to recap, unity and maturity requires us to walk in our identity and calling. So that means to live it out. It's no good just saying, I know on paper, I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. What is that in reality, and how do I live that out? How do I show that in my relationships? To allow the fruit of the Spirit to manifest in and through our character. It's a long list, all nine. The Holy Spirit is indwelling us so that the fruit can manifest in who we are, in our relationships. To be open to all divine revelation, not just that which matches your current theology. To allow God, which he will do, to drive a horse and cart right through the middle of your theology. Because he's no he's no, you know, he's not bothered. He would destroy your theology like that. They say, Oh, that doesn't sound like God. It is if it's wrong. Some of us are stuck into a theology that is years old, and that may not be bad, the fact of it being years old, but in many ways it is just bound up with legalism and fear. And wrong church teaching. And we need to be open to God changing that and speaking into it. And if we, if we hear things from God and think, well that doesn't match what I believe, hallelujah. Yeah. To experience God's truth in all of our life. Not just to be able to recite from scripture where we've learned what truth is, but to actually implement that in our life through meditation, on the word, through being open to God's revelation. To live from our spirit, not our soul. That's right. that, is a, that, is a, that is a biggie. And that, in a sense, is not, is not straightforward. It's not as though you say, oh, I'll, start, oh, I'll do that from now on then. <laughs> I mean, it's good to make the decision to say you're going to do it, but I tell you, it's not that easy to do. But we need to be determined. We need to deconstruct the way we used to do things, and we need to grasp hold of the easier way that God wants us to do things. (laughs) To contribute into the church the gifts and skills that God has given us. And to embrace kingdom life together. Right, stand up. Now I want you to put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. (laughs) Even if they irritate you. (laughs) I want you to repeat after me, Father God, Father God we, open our to you we open our hearts to you, and receive your adoption, acceptance, and affirmation. And we, your adoption, acceptance, and affirmation. we give you our first love, we give you our, first love. Our, priority time, our priority time, as we seek to know you better, and experience, more of your great love. and experience more of your great love. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen.